0: My father taught us to speak the truth. My father came from the Jim Crow era, and he came from a little town, my mother and him from a little town. For hours out of Atlanta, Waycross, Georgia. A lot of people say, Waycross where? No, it's Waycross, Georgia. And he spoke when he saw wrong. And they had to get him out of the town because he would have been lynched, my mother said. And that's how he got into the service. So with that being said, and I'm looking back at how I was raised in that dominant male figure in my life, he taught, my father taught to us about a lot of stuff. And he says, always speak the truth. And he said, if one door closed, another one will
1: open. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenna Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do and believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. Listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. This is We Are Photographers with Sheila Prebright, and this is her story. Uh, today, we are thrilled to have on Creative Live for the very first time Sheila Prebright. Sheila is a photographic artist, she is an author, she's a speaker. Uh, she is known for her series 1960 Now uh, Young Americans, Plastic Bodies, and her work Suburbia. Uh, She is the author of a book, 1960 Now, Photographs of Civil Rights Activists and Black Lives Matter Protests. The work was also featured in The New York Times. Uh, She is a character in the 2016 feature-length documentary film Election Day Lens Across America. She's a contributor and ambassador for the Leica 10, which is a collective of artists. And her work is internationally exhibited, nationally exhibited, collected uh, all over um, in private and public collections, just to name a few Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, Library of Congress, National Center for Civil and Human Rights, and that's just a few of the list goes on and on and on. So please. Help me welcome Sheila Prebright to Creative Live. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Well, thank you for the invite, Kina.
1: <laughs> so, Sheila, I would love to just start talking about some of your most recent um, work and some of the things that are going on uh, with your life right now. And I know that right now you have a brand new exhibit um, at the Jackson Museum of Fine Art in Atlanta where your work is alongside the work of Stephen Shapiro who was a photographer who back in the 1960s not was is a photographer who back in the 1960s right. was photographing <laughs> the the civil rights movement and you know your work more recently paired alongside with his can you tell us about that exhibit and how it came about and what is most exciting to you about it
0: What's really interesting about the exhibit, the work that, the recent work, 1960 Now, I've been actually photographing since 2013 with Trayvon. And I authored a book and now we're in 2020. And Jackson Fine Art Gallery, Anna approached me and asked me would I be willing to do a show with Steve Shapiro. And what's so funny about that is I have his book that I bought like a year ago and didn't realize that I would like be in a show with him. And what's really interesting for me because of my work, and I call it 1960 now, young people are still experiencing what my parents are from the Jim Crow era, Um, Jim Crow era, the young people experience that and they feel like they're fighting the same fights that their grandparents and parents are fighting. So with Steve, it was really interesting to visit, physically visit the gallery to really, that work is beautiful. And he had all of Martin Luther King, Maker Evers, and also James Baldwin a person that everybody is quoting from and it's up to now, like contemporary times. And I actually was able to have a conversation with Steve on IG Live at the gallery. And it was amazing to hear him speak about his work. And he felt that one thing that him and James Baldwin had in common, they were both from parents that were and I think that was part of their connection and he felt that him that he needed to go and tell these stories from his point of view and then with my work it is so it's it's a different in the way of contemporary you know you could tell that it's different but it's contemporary with the clothing and stuff but I chose to photograph I've chosen to photograph in black and white and square because of what has changed from then and now.
1: And and so, how when you when you when you're standing there looking at the work side by side, is the feeling that you get the same? What is what is? Go a little bit deeper into what is the same and what is different other than the clothing. for for you and for other people seeing the work? What is different, because that's history, that was, what, how many years ago?
0: You see these icons that we read about in history, and they're just young people and very ordinary people. My work is in the making, and you see young people, but you cannot identify who's a leader because it's not about a leader. It's about all of us, okay? It's like a sympathy where you have different parts of the clarinet, the saxophone, and we're all playing different parts of that. So I feel that with Steve's work, we see more of the icons that we um, read about read about in history books except for some of the imagery, that famous iconic imagery of a young man with his face, um, I don't know if it's powder or whatever on it, and it says vote. And we're in those times now. And so my work is different, but it's the same.
1: And is the black and white, it, is that merely to to mimic... Um, work from the 1960s before there was color film or was there, maybe there was, but um, it, it, or is there something about black and white to you as an artist that is different than, than color?
0: From a conceptual point, since I feel that nothing has changed since, I mean, things have changed, but we're still fighting the same fights. I will not shoot in black and white into liberation. And then I will show it in living color. That's my concept.
1: That's powerful. Yeah. Um, I'm Curious. I, I watched last night. I watched the movie that that you are um, one of the seven photographers uh, that are uh, featured as and, and followed during the two thousand and sixteen election election day. Wow. Um, that's the film, the election election day lens across America, uh, and and in that you you talk about because you're you are documenting real time, and so I'm and you talk about. Um, Listening and observing, and I, I want to talk a little bit about um, about about the the film itself, but then also about the difference between the sort of documentary work and the more conceptual um, photographic artist type work um, from earlier. You know, or or just how those two differ. But first, let's talk about um, the the film itself, and and. What that experience was for you, what that what that meant for you, and how you approached telling the story of that day.
0: Well, that was in 2016, and right before then, I um, I documented the DNC, and it was so emotional. And what a lot of people didn't understand was I knew that Trump was going to win, okay? And I couldn't speak of one because if not, people would be like, Sheila, I don't want to hear that, you know, all of that. So when I was asked to um, be documented for um, for 2016 for the voting, um, we actually went into the Black areas of Atlanta, Because that's where a lot of, um, I don't know how to say it, the voting, where the machines are down, people can't vote. They tell them to go. And so what my experience from that, that, because that's the first time I've ever, ever done anything like that, is I gathered around a lot of young people that evening, went to bars and stuff. And one of the places that we stopped to was at Morehouse in Atlanta. It was one of the black colleges. And the young people, you should have felt that energy in there because they actually wanted Clinton to win. But when they start sawing the numbers of Trump, you heard nothing but silence. People were getting worried. They were texting everybody like, this is, this is not real. And I had one of the students um, that went to Morehouse call me. And I think that's on the video. He says, Sheila, what are we going to do? Because he was a Republican. And he says, what are we going to do? You know, because he was saying this country is like messed up, you know. And from there, you had some people that just decided not to vote. Because when it comes to African-American culture, how has that helped the culture with voting? And some people really are adamant about it. And I think now voting is very important right now. And I hope that people, and especially the young people, because they can make the vote turn, is to vote. You know, because we're living in... I call it
1: perilous times. So let's talk a little bit about how art and and can help or how art influences sort of whether it, activism or, or um, how those two go together. I, I read something that you wrote somewhere that was artists are the gatekeepers of the truth. And yeah. so... How how does how do you feel art can change make change?
0: You know, W.E.D. Du Bois spoke upon that and he always said he said that all art is political. to be honest with you. I don't care if you're photographing a flower or anything, <laughs> you know, it is political. So within my work, I recently with the 1960 now, I'm looking at that conceptually so. But then it is political, too. But me as a Black woman, and I wanted to go to the ground to talk about my narratives and what I see through my eyes. And I wanted to show that the culture is we are human. There was fear. You know, I saw the fear. I saw the sadness. I saw it all. So what I do, conceptually so, I'm not trying to find, look at imagery like the media is putting out a black man on top of a car burning. I'm trying to look at moments where I could bring the viewer in and really look at the humanity of these individuals that are out protesting. And I look at them as portraits because I actually shot with a portrait lens and I shot in square. So I'm waiting for that moment. I'm not clicking on the camera. So from a conceptual point of being, that's how I was when I went out to photograph protests, that's what I am looking for versus what they look like documentary. But I do believe that my work doesn't look like the media. Like for example, um, we have the new wave with George Floyd. And to be honest with you, I did not want to go out and photograph anymore. I not. I said, I have a book out. I've been traveling. I've been to the universities. I said, is this work? I'm challenging myself as an artist. Is this work really speaking to the people? Are we really listening? You know, I have this ideology about um, universal brotherhood in humanity, but that's just, I don't know if we can achieve that at all in this country because it's it's getting worse. It's not getting any better. So I try to use my work to speak to the masses of the people, but really honestly, where I really, my audience is six-year-old children, because I think those are the, informative years when they start learning about themselves and we have to teach. We don't have to do anything, but I would like to teach. <laughs> I would like to teach starting from that age about history and the truth because we have two different ideologies in America, two different Americas. One is the forefathers, everybody is equal. But that's not the reality. The truth is that it's not. So when are we going to come to that point where we can start? We have to start somewhere. I I feel that since George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, the hashtag Black Lives Matter, people are using that for their agenda, for their own agenda.
1: And and tell me a little bit more then about the difference between when you first started covering Black Lives Matter movement uh, pre-George Floyd, you know, back to 2013, Trayvon Martin, like you said. I mean, what what is different?
0: I think what is different is that Even though Black, I've been photographing for seven years, Black Lives Matter have now become in the mainstream. People are awakening, realize that racism is here. That's something that we've never dealt with at all. And when we saw George Floyd, his death on TV, globally so, that struck a chord what everybody, and when he said, he called out his mother, that really got to me. And I think everybody can relate to that. Take the color off of it, everybody can relate to that. And I think that's what made Black Lives Matter more into the mainstream since George Floyd. And when I did go out and start photographing I wanted to find different things besides just photographing just the main protests. I have mothers that call me here in Atlanta whose children has fallen from police brutality. They held a press conference, so I went to photograph that. I had young black men and black men period that were suited up in their suits and wanted to do a silent march at Ebenezer Baptist Church here in Atlanta and walked to Martin Luther King's um, birth home. And that was so powerful. But the media doesn't want those images, okay? They don't want to show those images. So I, for me, I want to rewire how we visually look at imagery, how we read imagery.
1: And so how do you go about getting that those different stories out there? Um, The, like you said, you're, you have so much work that is focused around just humanity uh, Mm -hmm. and, and creating a a different storyline of, of history, but also current, you know, current day that will be history for the six year olds who, you know, are growing up right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there, is it, is it getting that work in front of a different audience or, you know, again, it's this like concept of, um, like you said, mainstream media, what people see, but how do we, how do you get that work in front of people that it might change? I
0: think for me as an artist and I've been called from, um, different, um, um, editorial people to do work. But I'm very adamant of how I shoot and what I want. If not, I will not do it. And I think that's a star. And I think as creatives, I think there's a, there's a moment in time where we can, can dem- demand that. I just had an organization call me and they told me, they said, Sheila, the work, they were talking about the recent protest images that she said, your work is so different. From the other work that I see that's out there and they were on my Instagram and so social media platforms is actually a good place because when I was starting in photography in the late 90s you didn't have that, you had print and then a matter of a second people could see those images you know, so I'm very adamant as a creative an artist of what I want and I stick I stick to what I want, you know, and what I do. And it's not easy. It's not easy. It's hard because you feel like you're on an island by yourself. But something in me says you got to keep doing this because it's, it's going to help. Yes, I think about the younger people like six years old because this country, I feel, needs to go into a rebirth.
1: And I'd like to go back then um, to, you're talking about when you first got, you know, into photography. Um, What, what led you there? And, and, and I would love to, again, talk about this sort of difference between just why you call yourself a photographic artist and what for for our viewers out there, you know, how you make that distinction. Um, So let's start with your journey into photography.
0: Actually, I'm very shy. <laughs> uh, my father, when I was young, because I grew up in my younger years in Germany, I'm a daughter of a soldier, and I would always stay in my room and just read, 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 read and talk to any. I had other siblings, but they said that I was just so different. So when I um, in college, it wasn't until my last year I took a photography course And that's what led me into photography because I can speak through the photography. And so when I left, I graduated. I I majored in um, textile design and I left and I went to Houston, Texas, but I had one camera, one lens, and that was film back then. And I decided that I wanted to photograph hip hop culture. And in that, era, it was gangster rap. And coming from a family of my father being in the service, I was very naive, actually. I would go hang out in the communities and tell everybody I was a photographer, and that's how I started shooting rappers from that era. And looking back on it now, for me, that actually, it's like I've done a three hundred and sixty degrees because it taught me a lot being on the ground with the culture because I was around the gun culture, all of that. Okay, and the they took me in. It was like a family because they told me this. They were, I remember when um, one of the guys they had a record company. He says, "I need you to come over to the house and photograph for the CD cover." So I went, and you had these guys come out with AKAs, and I'm asking them, are they real guns? And they turned around, and they looked at me, and they said, where do you come from? You're like a white girl in a black body. And so that's why I think I didn't have any fear, and I was just naive about a lot of stuff. But that's where I learned, because when I look back at it, hip-hop was the voice of the community back. They were the CNN. They were talking about police brutality, all of that, and now we're I'm um, circled back around now on the ground doing the same thing.
1: It's so interesting. I'm just trying to. I'm just imagining you
0: I asking, know.
1: Are, "Are those real?" Right <laughs> in my who are first, you? <laughs> right in my
0: first show that I ever had a friend of mine, which was an artist in Houston. He saw the portraits. I was shooting portraits, black and white, of uh, of the artist, And he says, you need to be in a show. And I guess back then he saw something in me and I didn't know anything about art, galleries, or exhibits. So the curator came and he looked at the word. He said, did you photograph that? Those? And I said, "Yeah." He said, I thought you were going to have some cutesy little fashion stuff. You see, we're women. We can't do that, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. So that was my first entry into actually the art world. And me not going to school, learning about art or anything like that. I went to um, the retail stores because back then everybody was buying a lot of the, what, Jordan tennis shoes and all of that standing in lines. So I would go to the stores and get the boxes and spray them black all in the, uh, on the outside and the inside. And I would place those images into the box. And that was my presentation at the, at the exhibit. And so I didn't go to the show. The curator called and he said, Sheila, you have to come down. And I said, no, I don't. I said, a picture speaks for herself. Because I'm nervous. I don't like to be in front of people. So I actually went down. And I'm telling you, when I walked up to the door, people were at the door. And that I, now that's fear to me. I don't know why. Being on the ground, is not. And one thing they asked me is this. There was an image that I took of a rapper called Class C. And we were out in the woods. I was photographing. He had guns. And I had only one frame left in the camera. And I asked him to point the gun at me. And he said, you want me to point this gun at you? And I said, yes. And he took that gun and he went like... And that was my last shot. So going back to the gallery, they asked me, did he have a bullet in the gun? I said, I don't know. I didn't ask. And so that's actually...
1: Which started my career into the art world. Wow, that's a powerful <laughs> experience, yeah. and and bold um, for you know you, you calling yourself a you know a timid and you know or maybe you're not timid but a shy. Yeah. Um, do you think that that shyness then helped you? I think so.
0: And the naiveness actually too. And one thing. And I, I um because when I think about when I started into being in the culture of all of what I was around, um it was like a little kid. I was curious. Think about a little kid and they're curious and they're moving around. I was like that and what I did not show was fear that was the key. I wasn't afraid at all. Okay. And those young men would tell me stories in their narratives. And I was like, wow. And they just broke down and they took me in as family. And so I think as an artist and as a photographer, even when I go into the um, neighborhoods, like I could give you an example. When I was involved, ba- I was in Baltimore and I was there when Freddie Gray had passed that Sunday, that Monday, that's when they started the protest. And I got out of the car, I went to West Baltimore, had my cameras. There was a police station right there in in the community, taped off with all of the police officers around. You could feel the tension in the air. But what really amazed me was the landscape. I felt like I was in a third world country. I've been to Detroit. I've been there, but it was something about Baltimore. It looked different to me. And when I approached some individuals, they immediately let into me and told me to get the hell out. We don't want you here, the media here, or white people here. The only time when you come into our communities, you want to talk about something negative. So get the hell out. Here goes me again, this shyness. I said, well, I'm from Atlanta, the home of the civil rights movement. I'm like you. I may not live in your community, but I want to tell my story. They looked me up and down, and they bowed. Their head. And then this woman came up to me and asked me for money. And I looked at her and I told her, "I said, ma'am, I don't have any money, but I can give you a hug. We hugged and we cried. So that's how I, as an, as an artist or photographer, that's how I go into the communities. I try to connect. That's what I do, and you can't show any fear at all. If not, they could sense all of that. But I do believe that shooting hip-hop culture and gangster rap back then really prepared me for what's going on now, the work that I've been doing recently.
1: I think there's so many lessons in that, Sheila, in terms of um, just how you connect on a human level uh even so a, a lot of people right now are talking about like whose story is it to tell and, right. and right. not you know you you going into you know fly you know somebody coming in flying in telling the story and leaving
0: right. um
1: and and yeah even though you weren't you know from baltimore but you're able to make that connection and build trust uh and it you know, as you were, you know, back in the, you know, photographing the hip-hop culture. Right,
0: right. Did you,
1: you, you keep saying that you didn't show fear, but did you not f- feel fear? What does make you feel fear? Does anything make you feel fear?
0: Talking in front of you and going on these shows, that's what it is. But when I'm in the, no, I have a strong father figure in the house. There's three girls. My father talked us to speak the truth. My father came from the Jim Crow era and he came from a little town, my mother and him from a little town four hours out of Atlanta, Waycross, Georgia. A lot of people say, Waycross where? No, it's Waycross, Georgia. And he spoke when he saw wrong and they had to get him out of the town because he would have been lynched. My mother said. And that's how he got into the service. So with that being said. And I'm looking back. At how I was raised. In that dominant male figure. In my life. He taught. My father taught to us. About a lot of stuff. And he says. Always speak the truth. And he said. If one door closed. Another one will open. And that's what. I I think that's my foundation and that's how I'm able to do what I do. And so I don't have any fear. I mean, I'll give you an example. I live in Stone Mountain, Georgia and I don't know if you know about Stone Mountain Park. Do you know about Stone Mountain Park? Park?
1: I believe so, but tell our our audience. Yeah,
0: Stone Mountain Park is a park that has one of the largest granite In the country and back in the um 1900s it was the second coming of the kkk and they have three confederate soldiers carved in that stone but that's when they did the second coming in 1915 with that work and now it's a national park it's it's not owned by the um by the state it's an individual and four million people actually visit that park Every year, the Confederate flag is still there and also the Confederate carving there. And I, you asked me this. See, I got lost. I got lost. What was the question? Because I brought up Stone Mountain. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. So two weeks ago, I left and went to, they have what you call Stone Mountain Village. And I was trying to go to the herb store. And The roads were blocked off. I didn't know why. I would, you know, and so I found another detour and I ran up on a few people, got out of the car and I went and talked to the police officer and he said, they're protests. I said, who are they? They just didn't say anything. To make a long story short, it was the white nationalists, anti, was it anti,
1: what do you call them?
0: Antifa. Yeah, Antifa. And the 3%, I don't know who the 3%ers are. So I went up there because what I saw in the black folks, everybody was screaming and yelling at each other. I went up there and I said, y'all need to stop. I said, all you're doing is yelling at each other. And there was this young young kid and he's a white nationalist I looked at him. I said, where were you born and raised? He said, from Tennessee. And I says, when did you join join this organization? At a young age. And he said, I'm just so afraid that they're going to rape my daughter. I said, how old are you? He said, 26 years old. And I said, who are they? He said, the Muslim. He said, and you know what? Black people fought in the Civil War and they didn't have a problem with the Civil War. And so I took a seat back. There's no reason for me to try to come back with him because a lot of it is is that we really don't have knowledge of each other. We only know each other through the media. Yeah, you might have a black friend. I might have a white friend, but we really don't know each other at all. And... What the, all the journalists was out there, and I'm not knocking journalists, but when I saw on the, on the, on the, um, what is it, when the articles come out, all you see is everybody just screaming and yelling at each other, and we're not listening. But for me to tell you that story, because you asked me about fear, I didn't have fear. Everybody had AKA, from the three percenters to the black, everybody, and at any time, Somebody could have got very, very emotional and all of them would have put their guns out. And we're living in that we're living in this era right now. Oh, we saw what happened in Wisconsin. So yeah. But you can't have I just say you can't have no fear. You just gotta deal with it actually.
1: What I take from that story, Sheila, is that your one of one of your powers is is empathy. Yes. Uh and that, and and just showing what is, um, in, in and you know, kind of that staying neutral, um, you know, in a way of, um, listening, like you said earlier, being on the ground and and listening. I, I'm curious if if we can um, talk about, um, some of the other work that you've done as well. Um, you, I was looking at, uh, looking through your Instagram feed and you've, you've done big murals. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> and, and so again, you're, you're, um, listening, observing, creating work, but then bringing it back into, um, the public, in a different way than mainstream media. Can you can you talk to us too about some of the work that create that you created that became murals and yeah, how that affected?
0: I, yes, I feel that my work is for the masses of the people. And you're one of the works that I did in 2019 for the NFL. Actually, it was an art organization that commissioned me out to do The work with other artists I think it was about 10 of us and I received an email and they never did say anything about it was partnering with the NFL because if I knew that I wouldn't do it because I felt a certain way about how they were treating Colin Kaepernick and so I was invited to the press conference here in Atlanta the mayor was there the art organization was there And the host committee for the NFL was there. And I didn't know who that person was at the time. And when I got there, I said, they didn't bamboozle me. I am not going to do this, okay? And so I got home. My sister called me, and she said, she would have got to do this. Because we know you're going to do a protest with them. So I decided to go ahead and do it. And I was really searching because their theme was about the civil rights movement then and now. Okay. And Richard Avedon, when I was going, I received my MFA at Georgia State. My father put me through school because he said, this is something that you like. So you're going to school. And so what happened was I was drawn really to Richard Avedon, his work because of his portraits and how he, his portraits had, his portraits for me was very powerful and it spoke to me a lot. So I started looking on the Website googling Richard Avedon, and I came across this image that he took in 1963 of Julian Bond and the SNCC students in Atlanta, holding his nine-month-old daughter, Phyllis Bond. And I didn't know that he actually photographed the movement, and I didn't know that he photographed mothers that whose children have fallen to the civil rights movement that were um, murdered so when I saw that image I said I had to do that with the mothers so I rented out an Airbnb I met one of the mothers here in Atlanta whose child had fallen from police brutality she introduced me to Eric Garner's mother, Tamir Rice's mother and Oscar Grant. and so I brought them down along with the women here in Atlanta and we had a big, a convening at an Airbnb. It was very emotional. I learned a lot from those mothers. And we photo. I took the same photograph. Not this, it's not actually the same, but I took that image in Vine City where Richard Aberdon took um, Julian Bond and Miss Carr. Um, she actually... Eric Garner's mother, she had on a white jumpsuit and she was in the middle. And when she extended her hands out like this, I knew that that was the shock. And so I just opposed those two images of Julian Bond and the mothers on that wall because I wanted to really talk about the mothers and their trauma and how the mothers are moving forward with that. And so that was my vision for the NFL. And actually the, I don't know his name, I can't think of it right now, of the Falcons, he really liked that image too. Well, what a, a, a,
1: what a powerful uh, way to approach an opportunity, you know, and, and, create what you wanted to tell um and 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 how amazing to that art can bring the these mothers together in a way that then tells a different story through just that I mean I have the I can feel the image just based (laughs) on your your describing it
0: yeah Um, and the mothers from a lot of the different states called me because they wanted me to do that and to do the same thing in this city. But this is what I didn't tell you. It was hell getting it up. It Why? Really was. I think because of the connotation of who the mothers were and police brutality and people don't want to talk about it, okay? It was okay to put Julian Bond's image up. Oh, but we don't have this problem here in Atlanta. And you have to get permission from owners of the building to put it up. And I had help. And I had somebody that I knew in real estate in Miami that was talked to someone. And that's how I got the building. So as an artist, everything doesn't look just, all you know, like that. It's a, lot of, it's a lot more to it than just photographing and coming up with concepts. And it was very emotional for me because it, at the last minute, I didn't think I was going to get it done, but I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And when it was up, I cried. Because to see that work of the mothers and Julian Bond holding his nine-month-old daughter on the wall so if you ever visit Atlanta they're like 30 feet high is is I don't like to talk about my work but that's amazing to be honest with you with the mothers mothers are very important
1: let's talk about your mother (laughs) we've talked about your father and his influence how did your what was the influence what is the influence of your mother on you I
0: didn't realize the influence of my mother until she
1: passed, can you believe it or
0: not? She passed last year in Oh, August. I'm sorry.
1: That's oh, a year your, anniversary. Yeah.
0: Year anniversary in August. She was the one that held the family together and I didn't see that, honestly. And you think about women, how we've always been overlooked and I'm a woman, okay? But that woman had a lot of power. She's the one that really gave us the foundation. She kept us together. Um, mothers, women are the foundation. They birth, we, we give birth, okay? And I'm really looking at that right now. But my mother was a very powerful person in her own way. She's, I'm very much like her, very subtle. And that's why I didn't see it. My father was like that, okay? But um, I miss her dearly. But now I understand. I understand. Yeah. She kept us together.
1: There's a, there is this, I, you know, I could see it in you, the different types of power, like you said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, and so there's a a, a maybe understated power uh, mm-hmm. that can come through in, in various ways, and I think that's the power of your art as well, and ha- as you've been talking about, your ability to, you know, be, insert yourself into um, cultures that others might, subcultures that others might not be able to, mm-hmm. uh, is, and yet then put out this incredibly powerful work.
0: Um, I'm really interested in the voices of the unheard. It's just like with my Young American series. Um, Young people, if you think about young people, we were both young, and everybody thinks they don't know what they're talking about, social media, or whatever. So that's why I did the body of work of young Americans, because I really wanted to know what they thought about America.
1: Tell us more about this body of work for people that haven't seen it.
0: Actually, in 2008, I had my first solo show at the High Museum of Art with young Americans, and I photographed in the millenniums, they were called the millenniums, not the Generation Z, the millenniums from 18 to 25, starting in 2006. I wanted to know what they thought about America, because the young people have this burden that they have to take from this country in Generation Z, it, same with Generation Z. So I gave them a flag. They did whatever they want with the flag. I was the observer and they wrote a statement. And that was the, and that work was in the beginning stages when he wasn't president then, but President Obama was thinking about running for office. And so the whole point of that work is I felt that young people were voiceless. Nobody listens to them. And I really wanted to hear what they were coming from when it
1: came from this country and voting. And that was the purpose
0: of that work.
1: It's, it's very powerful work as well. Um. I'm actually
0: um, reappropriating four of the images. I have a commission at the Boston University. I'm creating a piece for the Mueller Library, and I'm using four women, and I'm printing them up on aluminum, and it's going to be placed in the library. And I've been um, having talks with young people through Zoom, and I'm using their text, and I'm going to project that over with the women, because I feel that I'm calling it rebirth, because it's women that's going to have to rebirth this country.
1: That sounds amazing. And I look forward to seeing those, um, hopefully, you know, on your Instagram, or, um... well,
0: I'm actually trading a website for that, too. So it's going to be Instagram, we're going to try to do something big with even though the piece is physically at the library, but we're going to do something virtually. And it's going to be around the election, actually.
1: Okay. So coming up at the time of uh, recording here in September of
0: 2020. Right.
1: I, you're, you, um, I mentioned early at the beginning, you are part of uh, a collective, the Leica 10. Oh, yes.
0: And I also <laughs>
1: know that you're um, a juror at the time of recording now um, for a new Leica initiative um, for women photographers. Can, can, can we just uh, give a, a moment to talk about that opportunity for people who may not have heard of it?
0: Okay, women go and apply for this. There's going to be a lot of people applying for around the world. But one thing to keep in mind, they want to see narratives. They just don't want to see portraits. They want to see, I mean, you could do portraits, but what's with those portraits? Is it about transgender or anything like that? But it has to be very strong work and it has to tell a narrative. And and it's from a woman's perspective with that. And you have, I believe it's three other um, jurors on there, and we're all women. And I think this is so powerful that Laika is doing this because Laika is male-dominated, and photography is, to be honest with you. And to allow this to happen with Leica, I think is amazing, and I'm one of the ambassadors. So I encourage all of you, to go ahead and apply for this. And one thing too, if you feel kind of like, oh, my work is not good enough, it's good to go ahead and apply because you don't know who is looking at your work and it may have potential. And and me as a juror, I could say, hmm, that's a note for me. Okay. And so it's just encouragement. And I think just go ahead and need to apply. I think you have until October and there's only 10 images you need to upload, but think about stories that you, from you, it doesn't have to be, I say all artwork is political, but it doesn't have to be what I've been doing. It's what's come from you. Come from your heart with it and tell your story.
1: And so again, that is the Leica uh, Photo Project 2020. They are awarding three photographers $10,000 plus a Leica Q2 uh, to then complete another personal project um, that is expressed from a from a female perspective. And uh, and so um, you can Google that and and check that out. And like you said, I really I I appreciate that you are just encouraging everyone to apply. You don't know who's looking at your work, right? I mean, right, you, talk, you right. talked about back at the beginning of your career, right. you know, when somebody saw your work curator and said, I think you should exhibit, you know, right. and now look at you. Right, uh, right, right. Everyone. And I've
0: always got that encouragement like that is because I felt like, oh, no, my work is not good enough. Okay. But sometimes people see something within your work that you don't see. And all it is, is, um, just have the confidence and just do it. Like Nike said, do it.
1: <laughs> it really is. If all of us could listen to that, Nike, in our heads every day, just do it, just right. do it. It's, right. We, right. <laughs> but we, get, right. We, we get blocked. I mean, and No, you know, we do
0: get blocked. And I, I get blocked because when COVID came, I think COVID for me, and it might speak to a lot of people too, is making reflect back on things you know and I'm actually challenging myself as an artist because my next body of work is gonna be landscapes I don't like landscapes okay they're static (laughs) but I'm gonna challenge myself because I want to talk about what I've been talking about through all of my work from a different perspective
1: that's that rewiring of the mind visually so Wow. That I mean it's I'm trying to imagine you doing that. I look forward to seeing that. I know. <laughs> me well, too. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> but that's the thing. You continue to challenge yourself as and that's where that's where creativity comes from. That's where it's born.
0: Right. So ladies, go to Leica Camera USA on their IG and click on their link and start thinking about what you want to do and
1: apply. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Sheila, it has been such a pleasure to have you on uh, here on Creative Live and we are photographers. I want to give you some shout outs of what people have been saying as we've been uh going through oh, our okay. conversation Um uh, okay. Le- leon had said early on he's tuning in from queens new york he said glad you have sheila on here she is very important in the art and social justice world totally agree um we have Lori who said commented when you were talking about your mother we often see the power and influence of our mothers on our work uh until they are gone um mm-hmm. we have uh someone who's tuning in from Cyprus, watching from LA, we have Mumbai, India, we have the Philippines, Uh, Um, we have Florida, (laughs) Fort Worth, Texas, Marietta, Georgia. Um, Mm -hmm. So lots of folks that have been tuning in. Thank you to all of you for tuning in and participating today. Sheila, where can people find you, follow you, stay tuned, seeing some of the work that we've been discussing, but then also making sure they're going to see some of the upcoming work as well.
0: You can visit my website at Sheilaprebright.com. and then you can go to my IG, it's sheprebride, S-H-E-P-R-E-E-B-R-I-G-H-T. And Facebook, you can go to my Facebook too, but I'm really living on IG. I don't, Twitter I can't get into, but I post you saw I post right on Twitter. Yeah, I do all that, and that's what I do with Facebook too. But IG is really what I really live on. Is IG.
1: Awesome! I encourage everybody to go follow Sheila. Uh, check out at nineteen sixty now as well is a, another one of your Instagram handles. Um, and, and oh yeah. And then my book, and my
0: book, 1960 Now, you can get it on Amazon um, or just Google it and get that.
1: Yes. Yes. Supporting Sheila and her work. um, Thank you again so much, Sheila, for everybody out there. Thanks for tuning in. You can see what's coming up here on Creative Live TV by looking at the schedule below. If you're on our website, you can go to creativelive.com slash podcast to see all of the past episodes. Of we are photographers and then of course you can subscribe to we are photographers anywhere that you get your podcasts so once again to signing off for now but thank you again to sheila Prebright, and thank you ken i'm kenna klosterman and you've been listening to the we are photographers podcast from creative live we originally recorded this episode live on Creative Live TV. That's our new live stream to entertain, inspire, and connect us all coming from the living rooms, kitchens, and home studios of the world's top creators. Check out what's playing now and upcoming shows on CreativeLive.com/slash TV. Be sure to follow all things Sheila Prebright via her website, SheilaPrebright.com, and on Instagram, both at Sheila Prebright and at 1960Now. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us. And yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, head over to CreativeLive.com and check out the Creator Pass. That's our subscription that gives you access to over 2,000 glasses on demand. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review We Are Photographers wherever it is you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, and a five star review goes a long way. And if you like this episode, tell someone about it. Word of mouth is the best way for us to reach more creators just like you. You can stay up to date with everything happening at Creative Live by following us on social media at Creative Live everywhere. And I'm at Kenna Klosterman on Instagram and at Kenna K Photo on Twitter. Send me a message so we can connect as well. Thank you again to Sheila Pre Bright. And I'll see you all next week for another episode of We Are Photographers.